on week three now of a four-week series, which I'm calling, I'll Have a Cup of That. And it's based on the four cups of wine that they drank at the Passover feast, or they still do drink at the Passover feast. We celebrate communion with one cup, uh, where Jesus instigated that, and he instigated that on the third cup, which we're going to be talking about today, interestingly enough. But when you study what they do and why they did it and what it's significant about, it's actually totally appropriate today. Give me a wave if you've enjoyed the first two messages so far. It's so appropriate today, isn't it? You look at this stuff and you think, oh, is it for me? It's totally for you, and it's totally for you now. I like to start these things off by assuming that people don't know anything. There may be guests in church, there may be people who are relatively new at church. And so I talk about the Passover feast and I straight away know what that is. Some people don't. But here it is. The Israelite people were in Egypt and Pharaoh was slave driving them and making them build stuff and making it more difficult and it was relentless and they were struggling and they couldn't see any way out. And then God raises up Moses and Moses says, go to the heads of the houses and tell them to sacrifice a spotless lamb. And from the blood of that spotless lamb, put the blood over the mantle of your house, the lintels of your house. And tonight, the angel of death will pass by. And so when he comes and he sees the blood, he will pass over your house. But where he doesn't see the blood, he will enter that house and take the firstborn son. And so the idea of, of Passover is that God saved all of the Israelite people because they had the spotless lamb's blood over their house and it was recognized. Who knows that blood is spiritually recognized? And so the death passed over. And so they, they celebrate this. They celebrate Passover. The death passed them over. It's appropriate for you today. And so they base the four cups on fourth God's, four of God's promises where he says, I will. In Exodus 6 and verses 6 and 7, it's here. This is uh, Exodus 6, verse 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. Turn to the person next and say, outstretched arm. Turn to the person on the other side of you and say, mighty acts of judgment. Because that's what God says he's going to do. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. So there are four things that God says to the Israelite people he will do. And they have a cup of wine remembering those four things. The four cups of wine are here. We have the cup of sanctification. I love the, the Jewish people because they just know how to have a meal. Four cups of wine. Sanctification. The idea of sanctification is that you're pulled out of something and set apart for a purpose. It's taking you out of that place and setting you apart for a purpose, primarily relationship with God. Then you have the cup of deliverance. I will set you free. We talked about it last week, and the concept is this. You can be out of the situation but still affected by the situation because you've created habits there, thought processes there. So you're not there anymore, but you're still living like you're there. And God says, I will set you free. I will deliver you from that. So not only are you out of the situation you're free of the situation do you see so that's deliverance now today we're going to be talking about redemption which is another thing and then next week we will talk about acceptance i will be your god i will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment which is what we're talking about today the cup of redemption it's a good one and it's for you and it's for today redeemed word redeemed Boiled down and simplified means to buy something back or to cash something in for its value. 
If you look at dictionary definitions, there's other words, things like uh, ransom, restore, liberate, remove someone from a place of harm. Redemption's a good word. Being redeemed is a good thing. Um, I recently discovered that I had an Amazon voucher that I was bought about three years ago. Uh, It says, can I have my bag? I've got a bag to show you in a minute. So I, I, I guest preached for someone about three or maybe four years ago, and they had very kindly said, oh, we've bought you an Amazon voucher, and it, it, was, it was online, so I didn't have a physical voucher, it was out there. And um, I had this really rubbishy old man bag. Do you remember the man bags? It was black, shiny leather. It's just, it was about this big, and it was, it was quite cool for a while, not so much now. And I said, I'd love to get myself a new man bag. And Sarah went, oh, you've got that Amazon voucher. I was like, yes, I have. It was worth 40 or 50 quid. I think the children spent half of it already, but it still existed there. (laughs) And I said, oh, well, let's go and have a look at man bags. And so I found myself a cheeky little man bag. This is the way we go now, isn't it, guys? Am I I cutting it now? (laughs) This, this bag has got a charging device in it. I can charge my stuff while it's on my back. I am that cool. Yes, yes. Where is it? Look, 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 look. There's a thing right there you plug into. Look, how cool's that? I'm down with the kids now. Don't even worry. I was sat and chatting to Nathan during the week, and I said, I'm getting a bag. It's got a charging device. And he showed me, and he said, yeah, mine's already got one. I was like, oh. I thought I was so up there. But here's my point. I had a voucher... That once I redeemed it, I got what I wanted. I had the voucher all along. I didn't have what I wanted all along because I wasn't using the voucher. So I didn't redeem it. Can you see where I'm going with this people catch my bag, baby? Oh, yes. (laughs) You need to redeem your voucher. There's a... Pretty tricky, unpopular verse in Romans 6 and verse 23. And it says this, the wages of sin is death. Not my favourite verse, that one. We have a story in our house. And uh, Sarah, my sister-in-law Sarah here, who I'm sure you will all hear preach one day because she's awesome. And um, she had a a nan. um, She's died. Yeah, I was going to say had, I thought suddenly she's still here, but she's, she had a nan, past tense, who was a church leader, prayer warrior, an awesome woman of God. And uh, I don't know what you do, but when we, when we write birthday cards, we put an encouragement or, or a love, message of love or sometimes a Bible verse. So Sarah opens her birthday card from her nan and says, Hi, sir, happy birthday, Sarah, cheering you and love you very much. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. It's like, <laughs> happy birthday, enjoy that. <laughs> that wasn't very well thought through. But we've never forgot it, so it's always cool. We all know Romans 6.23. <laughs> but the reality is this. It's cashing in your life choices for what they're worth at the end of it all. It's cashing in. Your life is a voucher. Your life is what you're going to cash in at the end of it all. But Jesus says, I love you. I love you. He even loves me. Here's, the, here's what he says to me, Barry. Do you miss the mark? I miss the mark all the time. And the trouble is we don't use this word sin in church very much because it's not very popular and it's kind of off-putting, isn't it? But sin ultimately means to miss the mark. Now, I'm a lead pastor. 
I miss the mark every day. I think things that I shouldn't. I say things that I regret later. I do stuff. Every day I do it. So I miss the mark. The wages of my life choices, according to God's word, is death. But Jesus says, no. I love you, Barry. The wages of sin is death. So I'm going to die the death on your behalf. He redeems me. His life redeems my life. Jesus died the death so I don't have to. And I want this to get in you because that's why we get so excited about Jesus. You know, you'll see us at the front here. We need to widen the gaps between the chairs so some of you guys can start giving it some. The reason we get excited about Jesus is because at the end of it all, when I stand before judgment, Jesus says, I've got you. I'm safe, baby. Not because I'm good, because he's good. And that excites me. So when we get the praise and I'm jumping up and down, I'm not just being some goon trying to whip up an atmosphere. I genuinely say, thank you, Jesus, that at the end of it all, I'm secure. I want to do a little kind of skit. And I'm going to ask two people to join in this. And they haven't been told anything about it, but I've just decided I'm going to do it. Uncle Dan, can you bring your chair up, please? Round of applause for Uncle Dan. (laughs) Uncle Dan, can you put your chair facing sideways here? Who else should we pick on? Mel, come on Mel, we love Mel, Mel is our intern people, show some love for Mel, Mel is just awesome, Dan can you stand up, you're not sat down yet pal, in fact stand over there, Mel is God the Father, now I know, but she is God the Father, in this skit, God the Father, you'll find Mel on campus people, she's representing our church there, meet with her, chat with her, remember she's Father God. Um, Uncle Dan... My brother, Uncle Dan. It's, it's not like a, it's, it's, we call him Uncle Dan because our children call him Uncle Dan. It's just kind of stuck, so Uncle Dan. Uh, Uncle Dan comes to the end of his time. And who knows, sorry, mate, <laughs> who knows that every single one of us eventually will come to the end of our time? The wages of sin is death. We all die in the body, but what's happening to your spirit person? What's happening to your soul? What's happening to the essence of who you are? Uncle Dan approaches the father, who is judge, and he comes, and he stands. But next to the father, who's next to the father? Clearly, Jesus. (laughs) Oh, yes. Jesus is with the father. We're engaging. Uncle Dan arrives. I see Uncle Dan, and I go, Uncle Dan, good to see you, buddy. Yes. Do you remember when you prayed and we had that, we had that opportunity? Do you remember when you were struggling and we did it together? Do you remember when you reached out and said, I want to give generously and I provided for you? Do you remember how we did it? And I say to the father, it's Uncle Dan. I know Uncle Dan. I did life with Uncle Dan. Uncle Dan's awesome. It's time for judgment, Uncle Dan. And this, and this is what happens. Uncle Dan, move aside. It's time for judgment. Do I get in? Come on, Uncle Dan. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Do you get the picture? I sometimes think we don't fully understand what's going on. And we get all fearful and worried about judgment day. But you're not getting judged. Jesus is getting judged. I redeemed you. I stepped in. I did it for you because I love you. But the great thing is we get to live a life in response to that. Jesus steps in on your behalf. He does it all. God says, I will redeem you. You don't do it. He does it. I just briefly want to look at the two things he says there. I will redeem you with my outstretched arm. I will redeem you with my mighty acts of judgment. Can you visualize for a moment? 
almighty God reaching down with his outstretched arm to pull you up. And he does that for lots of reasons, but one of them is this. Somewhere in it all, we have convinced ourselves that we're not so great. Somewhere in it all, we've resigned ourselves to being ordinary. Somewhere in it all, the pressures and the opinions of people around us have called us to shrink back. But God created you amazing. God created gifts and hope and life in you. And God says, no, 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 you've never been ordinary. I'm going to reach down and pull you up. I'm going to redeem you from this situation. I paid for you and there is more in you and I will see it. And it positions you from a place of being ordinary to a place of being amazing because there's gifts in you and greatness in you that God knows is there because he put them there. And he says, I will reach down to you and I'm going to pull you out of that. I don't want you thinking like that. You're better than that. You're my child. I put gifts and hope and dreams and talents in you. Come on, let's get out of this thought process. I'm redeeming you with my outstretched arm, taking you from that place to this place and I can do it because I paid for you. There's greatness in you. I think it's start time, about time we start to believe in this greatness in that. You know, we love Psalm 139. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He took time and care in making you and creating you and giving you dreams and talents and all the rest of it. And then we don't live up to those things. And God says, I will reach down with my outstretched arm and pull you out. Being, you know, we're talking about redemption and talking about mighty acts of judgment. Sounds quite scary, doesn't it? But it's not scary when you realize... Whom and who and what receive the mighty acts of judgment? Now, ultimately, God is our loving Father. And the loving Father will always step in as a protective dad. Is Toby in the room? Where's Toby? Toby's gone over there. Toby's our bass player. Toby is one of the smiliest people. There he's over there. Look, handsome man, handsome man. Yes, thank you, Toby. He's one of the smiliest people you're ever going to meet. Good old smiley Toby. <laughs> you touch one of his kids. You harm one of his kids. No more smiley Toby. <laughs> the mighty acts of judgment are coming your way. <laughs> because he's a loving father. He loves his kids. And he won't accept his kids being touched. So the mighty acts of judgment aren't for you, friends. They're for the enemies of your soul. Therefore, what's coming against you? For therefore, what's tearing you down? He says, I'm going to pull you out of that thought process and position you for greatness. And anything that comes at you and tries to stop that, I'm going to judge it. And I can, because I'm the Father and I'm the creator of all things. Ultimately, people, when you start understanding the cup of redemption, you win, you win, you win, you win, you win. And it's easy, because God says, I will, I will do it. It's a reminder, this third cup of Passover, the cup of redemption, is a reminder that you're called to flourish in life. It inspires me that God pulls me out of a situation, heals me up from that situation, and then positions me to flourish in a new situation. It's always been about me doing well. And as I do well, people around me do well too, because God in me does this. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we, for you, are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He put greatness in you. He put abilities and talents in you right from the beginning. He's always had a plan for you, and you're amazing. That word handiwork there is the word poema, P-O-I-E-M-A, poema. It's the place where we get the words poem and poetry. I love the imagery that that brings. See, now 
You are a walking, talking masterpiece. You, to God, are poetry. Give me a wave if there's any spoken word or poets in the house. Very trendy. Brittany, I know you are. Trev, awesome. Become in vogue. When you're clever with words, it's really inspirational. Well, God looks at you like a poem. He says, wow, there's greatness in you. There's gifting in you. And because I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to position you to see you walk that out and see you excel in the areas that you love in life. And to him, it's poetry. See, the first cup, the cup of sanctification, is him pulling you out of the bondage and the yoke to this world and saying, now you're in relationship with me. The second cup of deliverance is about him setting you free from the things that were holding you there in the first place and allowing you to live free here. The third cup is about you being awesome. The gift in you brought back to flourish in life. The third cup's amazing. And so to the title, I'll have a cup of that. The unredeemed life ultimately is living in life just trying to do your best with all the pressures around you. There's some brilliant people around, isn't there? But there's pressure and there's opinion and there's bills and there's family and there's relationship and there's sickness and all this stuff comes in and I'm struggling, I'm doing my best. The redeemed life is Jesus pulling you out of that and saying, now flourish because I've done it. You are called to live a redeemed life. Ultimately, it's all about the blood. See, the Old Testament is always a forerunner or shadow of what is the reality of truth now. Put the blood over the door. It's always been about the blood. Spiritually, God recognizes blood. It interests me here in Genesis 4, verse 10, it says this. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. This is Cain and Abel. You see, they've moved away from God. Adam and Eve moved away from God. And having moved away from God and out of relationship and, and having been disconnected, they have Cain and Abel. And what happens? Cain kills Abel. Within moments of coming out of the presence of God, there's jealousy, there's murder, and there's death. But the blood cries out. The Lord says, I see the blood. Can we even imagine that? You see, murder and blood and death is just normal to us. Not normal to these guys. Never seen it before. Shocking. And the Lord's like, wow. But his blood cries out to me. It speaks to me from the blood. I get it. This is a man who's wronged. This is a man who, who should never be dead. And I loved him. And what on earth has happened here? The blood of Abel cries out to the father. He recognizes it. Yeah. Hebrews 12, 24 says this. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Can you see what's happening? There's this theme that goes right from the beginning all the way through to Jesus. And he says, I showed you something with Abel, but I'm showing you something better with Jesus. Because the blood of Abel spoke to me as his father, and I loved him. But the blood of Jesus speaks to me as I'm his actual dad. I'm in relationship with him, and he did it for you. It's not just about Abel. Jesus did it for all of us. And he sprinkled blood over us. What does that mean? When you've got the sprinkled blood of Jesus on your life, death passes over. It's always been about that. You have a voucher. The opportunity for a voucher. And it is the blood of Jesus. Jesus speaks of eternity. Jesus speaks of relationships. Jesus speaks on behalf of all humanity. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19 says this. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life you handed down to you from your ancestors. 
but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Can you see the pictures? The Passover feast. Take a spotless lamb. Put the blood over the lintel and death will pass over. It's a forerunner for Jesus, who is the spotless lamb, never sinned once, shed his blood for us. And when we take it onto our life, death passes over. It was always a forerunner, a shadow, and it's available to you. I, I don't know if you follow imagery and numbers and stuff, but who knows that number, uh, num the number seven is the perfect number. It's the, the number of completion. Well, do you know that Jesus, as he approached his final moments, bled from seven places because it was the perfect amount? You see, he met with the Father before he went on. He said, is there any other way? Could this cup be taken away from me? And the word says he sweated blood. I don't know how anxious you have to be to sweat blood, but that's quite anxious. Jesus sweat blood, that's one. He goes in and he's interrogated and he gets a Roman flogging. Bleeds from his back, that's two. They put a crown of thorns on his head and shove it down and mock him and say, King of the Jews, bleeds from his head, that's three. He stretches out his right hand and they nail it. They don't just hang in there, they put a nail through it. He bleeds from his right hand. Four. His left hand, they puncture it. Five. They put his feet together and put them through. Six. And then just to make sure he's dead, they ram a spear in his side and he bleeds from his side. Seven. Seven times Jesus bleeds on your behalf. And his blood is what redeems you. His blood is the voucher. It's his blood that causes death to pass over. It's his blood that when you stand in front of the Father, he says, no, I know this one. I'm sitting on their behalf. It's his blood that redeems you. Someone's got to be excited. It's a spiritual dynamic. It's a spiritual dynamic. God recognizes the spiritual dynamic. As people, we all have the ability to recognize the spiritual dynamic. You know, some people might not be into a relationship with Jesus, but there's all, all kinds of other spiritual ideas out there because there's, a, there's something in humanity that wants to tap into the spiritual. But the only way to the Father is Jesus. The only. There is no other way. If you want to stand before the Father at the end of it all and be sure, be sure, be sure, be sure, it's the blood of Jesus and nothing else. And you know what? It sets you up to win. Because the blood speaks of a new covenant. When Jesus instigated the community, he said, I bring a new covenant to you. See, the old covenant went something like this. There were 613 laws. And they needed these laws because they just didn't know how to live free. And so they were told how to do everything. But every time they broke one, they had to sacrifice a lamb, a blood. Give blood to cover the sin. And so they're forever sacrificing, sacrificing, sacrificing to stay right. But Jesus says, no, no, I bring a new covenant. And I'm a once and for all time lamb. You don't have to keep doing this blood thing anymore. I'm doing it forever. But it's a covenant of grace. And grace means undeserved favor. So it's not like every time you do something wrong, it's like, oh, no. It's like, I've got you. I've covered this. It's undeserved favor. Do I deserve it? No. Do I get it? Yes. Why? Because he loves me. And it sets me in a place of his wide open spaces just to do life and stop beating myself up every time I get it wrong. Here's the response. If you genuinely love Jesus, you would never want to take the mickey out of his sacrifice. So when we talk about repentance and changed lives, and repentance basically means turning around and doing it differently. It's not, it's not saying sorry. That's saying sorry. Repentance is saying, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to live different. But that is the response of fully knowing Jesus. 
When you know that Jesus stretched out his arms on a cross for me, stretched them out and said, I love you. I'm positioning to you, you to win. I'm giving you the voucher. My blood is the voucher. When you apply the voucher, it sets you up for life. And it's yours for the taking. He did it for all people. Not just you and me. All of humanity have the opportunity for this voucher. And he says, I'll do it for you. And when you accept that voucher, you're like, wow. Because of that, I want to live differently. Not because of rules, but because there's a heart transaction of relationship between me and Jesus. And so when I use bad language, when I'm unkind, it wounds me. It's like, oh, that's what am I doing that for? Because I have this relationship with the king. And so I begin to repent and turn around and live differently. Now, I am nowhere near perfect. I'm sure none of you are. But you know what? There's grace for you. And all the time you're in relationship with the Father, he'll keep saying, come on, we can do better than that. Come on, we can move. It's a process. But you are covered. You will never have to fear the day you sit before the Father if you've got Jesus in your life. He brings a new covenant, and it's a covenant of grace. It's undeserved favor, and it's for all people. I love the way Jesus puts it. You want some rules? Love God, love people. End. Because in reality, you look at every rule there's ever been, it falls into love God, love people. Because how can you murder someone if you love people? How can you steal if you love people? How can you take the Lord's name in vain if you love God? Do you see everything is covered nice and simply? Love God, love people. So when we leave this building today, we have the opportunity to say, I'm redeemed. I'm saved by grace. I get an opportunity to go and live like that. Not because there's a bunch of rules and if I don't, I'm out. That's not it at all. You're in. End of story. His grace covers you. But you get an opportunity to go out and love someone. You get an opportunity to go out and be kind to someone. You get an opportunity to go out and be generous to someone. And you get an opportunity to do that from the Father's provision and not yours. Oh, Lord, I'd, I'd, love, you know, I'd love to be able to do this. Well, you do it and I'll provide for you. This relationship of faith develops it all comes from the redemptive blood of Jesus. I had this voucher, electronic voucher, somewhere in the net world for years. And I didn't use it. I needed a bag, but I had a voucher. Eventually, I redeemed the voucher and I got what I needed. I just wonder how many people sat in this room have a voucher available to them. It's for all of you. What you need is freedom in life. What you need is hope for eternity. What you need is to suddenly realize the greatness that God always put in you and he's positioning you for that. And the way to access that is to say, I'm now redeeming the voucher. Jesus, I accept your blood. That sprinkled blood, I want that. And when you invite that in, everything changes. And you don't have to work at it. The Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you. We do church like this because we encourage each other and cheer each other on and spur each other on to greatness. Because there's goodness in you. You're an amazing person. Turn to three people around you and say, you're amazing. <coughs> I could say lots more, but I want to pray. Would you mind just standing? I'd love to pray with you guys. Jesus. I always find in this moment it's easier to close eyes and focus, but there's an invite there. You don't have to. 
I just know in a room this size of this amount of people, there are lots of people here who are living beneath their gift, living beneath their call, frustrated that they're squashed by circumstances and a people. And yet here we are today in God's house, reminding ourselves that the cup of redemption positions us for greatness. It's being saved from something to something better. And so with every eye closed, I just want to give you an opportunity to say, yeah, that's me. Uh, I've felt squashed for some time now and enough already. Could today be the day that in a church meeting like this, you start getting your freedom? Could today be the day when you start applying the voucher to your life that says, I'm not living like this anymore. There's better for me. Uh, just with every eye closed, if that's you, I want to pray. Could you give me a wave so I know I'm praying for? Yes, bless you there. Bless you there. Oh, wow. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Oh, lots of people. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Come on, church. Let's get some faith stirred up. There is greatness in these people. There is gifts and skills and dreams in these people. God put them there. And he didn't send Jesus to watch people struggle. He sent Jesus to redeem us from the struggle to a place of freedom. Come on, as a church, can we get our faith up? Lord God, you saw these amazing, amazing people, your sons and daughters, who are acknowledging that in this moment, they're struggling. Well, I speak the blood of Jesus over you right now. That cleanses you. That positions you differently. I call out that gift in you and say, rise to the top. That dream in you and say, rise to the top. I pray even right now as we pray in this prayer that, that you would just reconnect with Jesus. Get your hope back. Get your heartbeat back. Get your dream back. Jesus did it for you. He wants his kids flourishing. It declares heaven declares hope so be free in Jesus name free to flourish free to explore the wide open spaces of his grace but free to honor him free to love him better